Amen. Thank you for that, Lauren. And uh, before we get into our Bible reading, I do have one other announcement as far as the teenagers go. There will be a youth activity on May the 31st and here at the church from 5.30 to 8.30. We're going to have a cookout and a uh, bonfire as well as a volleyball tournament and syncspiration afterwards. And so I encourage you, uh, anybody sixth grade up through a senior in high school, if you have a teenager, encourage them to be there. Uh, we'll have a lot of good fun and fellowship. And so that'll be May the 31st. You can sign up at the counter after this morning or evening service today uh, with my wife or I. And so look forward to having your teenagers there for that activity. At this time, if we'll uh, look in your Bible, too, we're going to be looking at two passages of Scripture. Uh, the first one will be in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 10. And there'll be a Bible there in front of you in the rack or on the screen. At this time, if we'll all stand, those that are able, we'll be looking at uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 10. And then we'll be turning over to Acts chapter 17 in just a moment. So 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 10, I will read as you follow along. The Bible says, For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica, Crescens to Galatia, and Titus unto Dalmatia. Then if you'll turn over in your Bible there to Acts chapter 17, Acts chapter 17, and we'll be looking at verses 1 through 4 of Acts 17. The Bible says, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and the devout Greeks a great multitude, and of the chief women not a few. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for two times we've been together is where people go to get away from God. Demas went to a place called Thessalonica. The passage in Acts tells us, I'm going to hustle through this intro, it tells us uh, that Paul had established a church there in Thessalonica on his missionary journey 13 years prior, AD 53, the letter to the church at the, uh, Thessalonians there, and then also his letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy, some of the last words that Paul would write, was written 13 years later, A.D. 66, just before Paul is executed for his faith. And imagine this as he's, uh, in, his, in his closing moments, he's saying, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed to Thessalonica. Uh, Titus unto Dalmatia, and Crescens to Galatia. And, and each one of those departures was, I think, kind of a wound in Paul's heart. It, uh, it doesn't matter who we are, but uh, if you've been in church long enough, you go long enough to recognize that uh, people are missing. It's no different than uh, sometimes in a family we see people that are, that are missing and we lose loved ones or we get away from loved ones and we go our ways and they go theirs and sometimes it's, you know, just struggle to keep in touch. But sometimes people get out of church. Uh, they say the average church turns over every seven years. And sometimes people, God moves them away, and certainly that's, uh, you, you, you never know the, the wills and the ways of God. They're past finding out, I think, in many respects. 
Sometimes people uh, uh, get disgruntled. Sometimes people um, just uh, drop out of church. It gets easy to do. Um, you have to kind of make yourself go. There's not every Sunday that you wake up and feel like, man, I want to be in church. Uh, most Sundays, you, you realize that uh, the average person who comes to church comes out of a sense of duty. They feel like, well, I'm supposed to. Uh, it's the right thing to do. Those aren't bad reasons to come, but it'll take a little more than that to stay with it. Because life is filled with disappointments. It's filled with discouragement. It's filled with doubt. It's filled with struggles. It's filled with hurts and wounds. And sometimes those things become enough to drive us away. And sometimes even in our difficulties, we wonder, has God forgotten me? David said, I've been young and of old and have never seen the righteous forsaken, nor their seed begging for bread. But there are times in our life where we wonder, where's God now? Has God forgot about me? Maybe we're going through a deep deep valley. Maybe we're going through some troubled waters, and maybe we can't find an answer. We're looking for help, and we're wondering, where is God in all this? And so people bail on God for a lot of different reasons. Sometimes it's because uh, they've got a wound or a hurt, and uh, it never healed. But for whatever reason, Demas left, and Paul seems to have nailed it under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. He said, Demas left me for one reason. He loved this present world. The attachment, the allurement was so great that he said, I'd rather have something now than something later. Sometimes in life, we feel that way. We risk things for the immediate instead of waiting for that which is permanent down the road. It's hard for us sometimes in the Christian life because we can't see the other side. We don't know exactly what it's going to be like, and with the eyes of faith and You know, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Not seen heaven. I've never seen Jesus Christ, but in my heart I have. And and I realize that God said, don't lay up treasures down here, lay them on the other side. Lay not up treasures on earth where moss and rust does corrupt and thieves break through and steal. And he says, you ought to lay things up there. And so, for our lives, that's what we ought to endeavor to do. I don't think I've done a good job of that, but it's certainly something that I want to do, and I want to do even more and even better. But nonetheless, Demas left him. Let's pray, and I want to jump right in and move very quickly into some new thoughts this morning. Lord, help us guide, direct our words and thoughts. We need you today. We need you every day, but we especially need you to help us today. We don't want to say anything that is not in accordance with what you'd have said Speak to us as uniquely as only you can for every heart, every hearer. We pray that your work, your will would be accomplished. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Where do people go to get away from God? I think one of the first things is we're unable to endure persecution or hard times. Demas left him. And I think Paul would later write, and I'll use this verse later in the message, but I'll mention it now, when he says to Timothy, thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. In other words, he told him, tough times are coming. In the book of Thessalonians, his letter there, he said, I told you before I left that there would be suffering. It's not easy to be, the the Christian life is not easy, but uh, boy, our persecution, our suffering, our difficulties you know, when we sometimes you hear the expression in a joking fashion, uh, you know, first world problems. Our difficulties today will be trying to figure out where we're going to eat, not if we're going to eat. 
Whereas most of the world, they'll struggle to find water. They'll struggle to find this. There will be places today where the gospel is preached in privacy under very secret conditions. There will be churches that will meet in a different place today than they met last week, but not here. And they'll do that, and they'll change their maps. They'll use different uh, names. And I've read the stories and struggles of missionaries where every week those that are there, they're given, hey, we're going to meet at point such and such next week. And they'll change the names from week to week because they know that if they are arrested with a copy of the Bible in their hand, it's three years in prison. There are places like that today on this planet. This past week on this planet, there were Christians that were murdered for their faith. And we enjoy the luxuries that we have here. And I'm not, I'm not trying to uh, say anything other than the simple fact. Sometimes people bail on God because they say it's too tough. But I assure you, it is not tough. Now, it, uh, it may get very tough. You know, one of the things that uh, I was listening to, uh, what's his name? Uh, Charlie Kirk. Is that, is that right? From the founder of Turning Point. And one of the things he was talking about in his faith, he spoke Friday night at the baccalaureate service, and then he also spoke on Sunday, uh, or Saturday rather, at the commencement exercises when Liberty presented him with an honorary doctorate. But one of the things that he said was the question that shapes everyone's life and everyone's destiny is, who is Jesus Christ? And he said, it is the most important question that you ever have to answer. And he, he told the graduates who were seated there, and I think of the 20,800, there were about 9,000 who were seated on the field for graduation, the football stadium there. And he told them, he said, it will get harder and more difficult for your faith. He said, just get ready. It's going to get tougher. And here's a young man, I think he's 26, I think, graduate of uh, Baylor University. A little shout out to Baylor there. But, uh, but here he was, and he's telling these young people, a young man himself, it's going to get tougher and tougher for Christians. It's not going to get easier. And one of the things that I appreciate about people like that is they're willing to stand for the faith in very difficult situations. And, of course, as you know, he, he and his group travel around to college campuses, visited over 200 campuses across America this year, taking a stand for Christianity and their faith in Jesus Christ. But I think one of the things is we're unable to enter persecution or hard times. Secondly, I think that we find is that uh, um, people become careless in their daily walk. There are people who are not here today, and I don't know everybody's reason for not being here. Some are traveling, some are work, some are sick, some are providentially hindered. But on any given Sunday, there are people who are not here today who used to come faithfully. But it gets easy. You know, if you miss a Sunday, it's not a big deal. You miss a Sunday night, not a big deal. And, but as, eventually, it gets harder and harder to come to church faithfully. But if you get in the habit and the routine, I'm in church today really because on Saturday nights growing up, it was never a question, are we going to church on Sunday? On Saturday nights, we laid our clothes out and made sure that everything looked okay because we knew on Sunday morning we were going to church. There wasn't, we didn't take a vote. There wasn't a poll. It wasn't what's the weather like, what other options are out there. We went to church on Sunday morning. I mean, we were the first ones there, usually and the last ones to leave. I don't know. It's my dad. He was just, you know, and he never met a stranger, and he talked to everybody. We'd be sitting in the car waiting. I can remember when he was old, I was old enough to drive. I'd go start the station wagon, you know, the ones with the wood panel on the side. And, uh, man, I'd start the station wagon, uh, turn on the AC. By that, I mean roll down those windows back in the days when you got a workout doing that. Somebody didn't know what they had those things. You roll down the windows. That was our AC the window and uh, driving down the road. And I'd pull up to the front, uh, sitting on those hot vinyl seats, waiting for dad to come out. I'm in church today because dad never gave us an option. 
wasn't a, there wasn't an out. And uh, not everybody in my family is today, but that's between them and the Lord. And I'm certainly not judging them, but I know this. Once you miss, it gets easier to miss. It gets easier to miss. And you can become very careless in your daily walk. And I, I think that's what was happening at the church in Thessalonica. The Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5, 6, Paul's letter there, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch, be sober. I think one of the other reasons, and we'll move quickly into these, they became indifferent and lazy believing the Lord's return was not imminent. I can remember the very first time I heard Jesus is coming, and I remember thinking then in my, in my mind as a child, you know, what are we talking, next week? Have we got, have we got a week, two weeks? What are we, what are we thinking? I, that's going through my mind. Jesus is coming soon. I remember seeing a billboard one time, and I was just, it said, Jesus is coming soon, and he's angry. Or, you know, he's coming back and he's mad. And I was thinking, boy, you know, you, you don't want to get on his bad side. But I remember thinking, man, when is he coming? I can remember when I, when I first saw Tony, and I was in sixth grade. She was in fifth grade. I won't belabor the story. Some of you can probably tell it as well as me. And, uh, you know, I've told it a few times. But I do remember thinking, man, I want to get married, but Jesus is coming soon. Please wait, please wait, please wait. You know, John was saying, even so, come quickly, Lord. And I'm thinking, no, can you hang on just a little bit? Let me get married. Then we got married, and I thought, Jesus is coming soon. Wait, how much, how much time do I have? Are we, are we going to be able to have kids? You know, I want to want to have a family, and uh, you know, I got this huge bucket list. And you've heard me before; it's not a bucket; it's a barrel. All these things I want to do, places I want to go, people want to see it. I, I want to do this, and I'm thinking, but he's coming, he's coming. And you know what? I still believe he's coming. But over the years, we have become very lax in our faith and our walk with God. You know why? Because I don't believe there's a single one of us in here that thinks he's coming today. You know why? Because you've heard it your whole life. From the time you were a kid, oh, I want to have kids. I want to see my children graduate. I want to see them get married. Not really, I wish they, but anyway. No, no they got to get married because I wouldn't have these grandkids. And grandkids are like just awesome. Those, those things are just so awesome. Um, you can spoil them, love them, and send them home. You give them chocolate and sugar, you don't have to worry about a thing, man. Just let them bounce off the walls at somebody else's house. But, man, I, I and I thought, what, what about our grandkids? And then I'm thinking, you know, but, you know, I believe the Lord's return could happen at any time. I'm not convinced it's today, though. And so you know what happens? Our walk with God, our time to serve Him, i got plenty of time. I'm talking to some people this morning who you plan to do something for the Lord. You really do. You have the best of intentions. I'm going to start tithing someday. I'm going I'm I'm to start uh, serving. I'm going I'm to start greeting folks. I'm going to work with the Awana program. I want my life to count and matter. I want to make sure that I do something. But you know what? i got plenty of time. I know Jesus is coming, but not yet. I mean, I believe that. I believe all the preaching that I ever heard from the time I was a child. I believe every one of those guys. And I can remember, I, I grew up in the South, and preachers were sometimes what they would call windsuckers. Probably some of you have never heard that terminology before. And unless you grew up in the South, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But, I mean, it's a guy, and you look like their face would get so red it was about to explode. I mean, it was just, you know, and, and you, they, they would, uh, and I realized, you know, that, uh, that preaching, particularly in the Northwest, is, is, is a little bit different. And, and I understand that, but, man, I've preached in some of those places where, where it's, it's been that way. But, man, 
I, I, I'm telling you, I can remember hearing that when I was a little boy. I remember there was a guy, and it was a revival meeting. I don't know, I was, I was probably sixth or seventh grade, and he was up there. His face was beet red, and he was just, he was going at it. It was like Billy Sunday reincarnated. I mean, it was just, he was just slobbering all over the place. Jesus is coming. And I was like, looking around, like, you know, I, I, I believe it. But you know what? That guy's been in heaven for years, and Jesus still hasn't come. So here's what happens to our Christian walk. We get lazy. Yeah, I know. I, I, should, be, I, I should be reading my Bible. I'm going to do that. I should be praying. I know I'm going to do that. That thing about tracks, I know you're right. And, and, and I plan to do that. Uh, one day, I'm going to have an opportunity to do that. Uh, well, one day, I expect to do that. I know he's coming. I know, I know, I know. I've heard it for 10 years. I've heard it for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. I've been hearing it all of my life, and I still believe he's coming. But I'm not convinced it's really that soon. I know the world is growing increasingly dark and our culture is changing and Christianity is under attack, both here and globally. And I realize that our window may be shutting, but I still think it could be years. It may not even be in my lifetime. Why do I need to sweat it? Demas left. And one of the places he went was a place where they weren't sober. By that, I mean vigilant and ready, and I, I, they, they weren't uh, uh, on guard, and they weren't, weren't, uh, uh, didn't, didn't pursue it, and, and didn't go after it with everything that was within them. Do you realize that our life is but a vapor? God said that it appeared for a little time and then vanisheth away. In the window of my life, Lord willing, I'll be 57 my next birthday. Wow. And my window is, is doing this. My wife is 39 I, I, today, again, and I, I robbed the cradle. But, but uh, my, my window is closing, and I, I realize that. But I, but I don't want to say, someday I'm going to do something for the Lord. Someday I plan to serve the Lord. Because I'm talking to a group of people today, and probably some that are listening, and maybe some that will hear this down the road. We become lazy and indifferent because I know he's coming, but there were certain people even during the time of Christ, and they preached that he was coming back. Jesus is coming. It's from the New Testament that we get this. That was penned 2,000 years ago. And you know what? He hasn't come yet. So what's the guarantee he's coming in your lifetime? So what we do is we... Relax. I don't want to go to a place where I'm convicted, where I'm challenged, where I'm corrected. I don't want to, I, I, I just, man, I want to go to church where I can just be me and not have to have any guilt. I don't have to do anything. I, I could just sit there and, uh, you know, I, 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 I just, that to me would be awesome. But it's not reality. And it's not how you want to be when you stand before the Lord. When we stand before the Lord, we'll want to have exhausted every opportunity that God has given us. I don't want to stand before the Lord and say, I wish I had done less. I don't want to stand before the Lord one day and say, man, I, I, I wish I hadn't given you so much money. I wish I'd have bought that other boat. I remember the one boat we had in our life. We had a, a, an aluminum John boat, and uh, we used it just for trolling and fishing. And I remember one time we were out on it, storm came up, and we were struggling trying to get that thing back out of the water. Lightning was flashing everywhere. I mean, it was master, the tempest is raging. I mean, it was crazy. And, I, I, you know, I said, peace be still, and nothing happened. And, I mean, literally, I mean, we were, it was a downpour, a deluge. Lightning was, trees were falling next to the bank, 
from light. We, we literally saw a tree explode just off, off from where we were. And I'm thinking, this is not the best place to be in this metal boat on this water. And I'm thinking, that's it. And by the way, that was the last time we went out on that boat. Uh, we, we sent it on its merry way. But, you know, so I'm not going to stand before the Lord and say, I wish I had this one more opportunity. Because the only thing that will matter in this life is what have I done for him? We become indifferent. By that, several things happen. We become indifferent to preaching. Sometimes we're, and our culture has changed. There used to be, and, and I, I've been in older churches, my wife and I, in traveling, we were talking to a gentleman on the plane who was uh, uh, from New Hampshire yesterday, uh, yesterday no, Friday. And um, he was uh, coming to see his brother who lives in Lake Oswego, but we were talking to him, and uh, I, I, he, it's always a great opportunity to start to share your faith when they ask you what you do. Um, so I always just say I'm a public speaker. That was a joke. I always tell him I'm a pastor. And uh, so he said, really? And so I, I told him, that, you know, I preached near the town that he was from in uh, New Hampshire. And so we, we began chatting about some of those things. But one of the things that he, he asked me, he said, what's the best place you've ever preached? And I said, well, I don't know. I began to think, and I said, my wife and I, we've, I've preached in, I think, 46 of the 50 states, I think, somewhere around there. Um, and, uh, but I said, probably my favorite would be the Philippines. He said, the Philippines, he, he said, why? I said, everybody moves. There's no reluctance to respond. I remember literally going into public schools to preach hundreds of teenagers. Now, because we were in in, it, close to some Muslim areas, we, we had guys who had uh, their M16s, armed police protection every time we preached. But I can remember going into some of those schools, hundreds of kids, and the principal would say, please share your faith. I'm thinking, what? Public school, share, yes, tell them about Jesus. What? Yes, tell them about Jesus. And, and you would preach, and literally you'd ask, how many of you want to trust Christ? Not an empty seat in the entire auditorium. Everybody, I want to get saved. I want to know for sure I'm going to heaven. Here's what we do in church today. I'm not angry at anybody because I've sat there like you. I went to a church last Sunday. My wife and I and, and Rebecca, uh, Lauren didn't. She graduated. She didn't think she had to. No, she went to another church in another city um, uh, with friend, but, but we, we were at this church. And, and I was watching during the, and I watch everything. When I go to a church, I like to see how they do everything. I really do. I, I'm like, oh, it's cool. I'm looking around for ideas. Tony's sitting here and said, what are you doing? I'm just checking it out. You know, I want to see everything. How, how do you do this? I get a copy of everything. I go out in the rack out there. I'm you know, like this. We've got a little suitcase. I'm sticking everything in. Not really. It was just a small satchel. No, but I just grabbed a couple things because I liked them. I thought that, that's neat. But I watched this invitation. Here's the invitation. And uh, a guy starts singing. Uh, they had one guy singing on the platform during the invitation. And, and I kid you not, scores of people, that was their signal to leave, not go. And by the way, don't get mad at that if you never come to the altar. Was that too pointed? Was that too hard? See, because here's how we are in church. That's good. You know, and I love it when somebody says, boy, I appreciate the message and all of that. But did it do anything for you? And I don't mean me. I mean what God said. Did it, did it minister to you? Did it convict you? Did it challenge you? 
And I think one of the reasons Demas said, Paul, I'm done, is because every time he was around Paul, can you imagine having Paul as a buddy? Can you imagine that? Here you are talking to Paul. How was your day? And Demas says, man, it's tough. They were out of Diet Coke at McDonald's. You know, I went through and they gave me a Mr. Pibb. Who in the world is that? You know, I went to Diet Coke. Diet Coke. You got one job, figure it out, right? I don't know anybody that's ever said that except me. Here's Paul. So Demas says, Paul, how about you? Oh, I was stoned today. You mean like Oregon? No, different. Okay. I was literally beaten to the point people thought I was dead. Some of you didn't get that. That's okay. What happened to you today? Can you imagine if the Apostle Paul was your cohort, your mentor, and every time you were around Paul, Paul was saying, man, I'm the worst there's ever been. I'm the chiefest of sinners. It's a marvel to me that God would even save me, that God would love me, and how glorious it is to be called into the ministry and to have an opportunity to serve him. I'm not worthy to do that. You know what Demas said? I can't take you anymore. He said, I'm done. i got to get away from this. And I think one of the reasons we bail is because we become indifferent and lazy. And we sit in church... And we come sometimes out of a sense of duty. That's not a bad reason. Sometimes we become indifferent to other people's problems. We hear someone who will ask for prayer, and maybe they'll mention it in a connection group, or it'll be in a bulletin, or on a Thursday night, and so we'll say, please pray for so-and-so battling this or going through this difficulty. We'll hear it, it just kind of goes right through. Can you imagine if you told Paul that? Hey, Paul, would you pray with me about this? I think Paul was the kind of... Paul was so consumed with people getting saved that he said this, and I'm going to paraphrase, God, send me to hell if you'll save them. I've never prayed that. I want God to save people, don't get me wrong. I, I, I don't want anybody to die without Christ, no matter who they are, no matter what we happen to think of them. But I don't want to go to hell for anybody. I wouldn't for anybody. There's a huge gulf between me and Paul, no question about it. And the more I read it and the more I study his life and his letters, particularly to Timothy, I understand that really, man, my faith, oof. And I think what's happened in our culture of Christianity in America today is we just want to feel good. Can I just be saved and love the Lord and I know I'm going to heaven and everything else is good? Yes, there's nothing wrong with that. But don't forget this. You and I must be about our Father's business. And sometimes if we just go to a place where we sit in church, we're not moved, we're not stirred, we're not challenged, we're not corrected, we're not convicted. What has our faith become? So Demas said, Paul, I'm leaving. You imagine Paul now, he's writing these last words, Demas left me. And he did. He left him. Why do we leave? We become indifferent. And let me say this finally. I think one of the reasons is we get dependent upon help and encouragement from others. 1 Thessalonians 3.2, I sent Timothy, he's saying, to the church at Thessalonica, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you, in other words, to be a help, and to comfort you concerning your faith. Why? Because I think there's a lot of us, we just need somebody else to help us stand.
I, I think back to that statement by Charlie Kirk. It's going to get tougher and tougher for you as a Christian to stand. It's great to come to church. One of the best reasons about coming to church is seeing other believers. By the way, church was God's idea. And any abandonment of it is taken away from God's idea. He said, forsake not the assembly of yourselves together as the manner of some is, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. In other words, even though we think we need less church, God said, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. In other words, don't look for opportunities to get out. Look for opportunities to get in. Don't, don't, don't sit there and say, well, here's another chance to ditch church. No, 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 no. God, God said, no, so much the more as you see the day approaching. But Sometimes if we're not careful, we have that need, and all of us do to a certain point, to be encouraged by someone else. By the way, every one of you that are here today, you encourage me. And I mean that. When I look around, I always, I always and, I, and I wish I didn't. It's just the way I am. It's the way I'm wired maybe as a pastor. Maybe pastors are wired that way. But I look from that chair and I say, who's missing? And I've already in my, in my heart today, I've already called out and prayed for a number of people that I looked out here and I didn't see them. And I hope they're well. I hope they're not sick. I hope, but, but, I, but, but I'm fearful as a pastor who one of my responsibility as a pastor is the care of the flock. Not that I'm any better than anybody else. Don't misunderstand me. That's, that's not the point at all. But, but God said, take care of that family. And I wonder, am I helping them like I should? Have I not, have I not prayed for them enough? And I'm thinking about this family that's missing and this guy that's missing and this gal that's missing. And I go through that. I go through that from that chair. I do. Because you encourage me by being here. And you encourage others. But if we spend our lives banking on encouragement from other people, how are we going to stand? Because there will come a day and a time in your life when you'll be forced to stand alone. Rest assured. There will be a time when there won't be anybody around. It's great and it's easy. It's one of, you know, I think about, boy, how great it is for a, a children's choir to get to sing together tonight. It's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. And, and we'll watch them and, and someone's child will steal the show. And it's always, I, I love it. That's great. And while they're up there together singing together, and man, that, that's such a cool thing. But the time will come, you mark it down. Five years, ten years down the road. You don't believe that Bible stuff, do you? It's not getting easier. It's getting tougher and more challenging and more difficult to stand for your faith. I love it when I see someone in a restaurant pray for their food. My wife and I have done this many times. I've walked by people as I've left a restaurant and I've walked by a table and said to them, thank you for praying for your food. Because it's an encouragement to me to see somebody that wants to give God thanks in public and doesn't care who sees it. But it's not going to get easier. It's going to get tougher. It's going to get tougher. Will you stand when there is no one there to cheer you on? Will you stand when nobody is going to my wife is the best note writer and letter writer that I know. She's always writing notes and cards and letters. And, I, and, and they help me. Sometimes if I'm traveling away speaking, I'll pull out a pair of socks and stuck in the pair of socks. It's very uncomfortable for a while. But anyway, uh, again, time release humor. Some of you get that later. It was a sobering moment. You're not supposed to inflect humor, but I did. 
And I'll pull that note out and I'll say, thinking of you, miss you, hope you have a great day. Um, But it's written to somebody else. No, I'm kidding. Um, And I think those aren't my socks. Come on, stay with me. You guys are a tough crowd this morning. But I think about how good that encourages my heart and boosts my spirit. But if that's what you're banking on, what happens when it's gone? He sent Timothy to this church. He said, I'm sending Timothy because you guys are in trouble. You need somebody to strengthen you, to encourage you. And by the way, that's an important work in the church. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not minimizing it at all. And some of you have that gift. While we were away this week, there were a number of people that were over at our house that we, that we bought last month, and they were painting it, uh, all kinds of crazy colors, but nonetheless, no, they were painting it for us and, and working on things, and I'm very, very grateful for that. And I, I appreciate it. Those are, those, are, those are gifts to serve and to help and to care. Don't misunderstand me. But if that's what got you through, then what happens when those voices are silent and those letters are not coming anymore? I read a story this week. It was fascinating. I, I love to read, and my wife and I often share stories, but uh, rarely do I read a book that, that I, I can't put down and moves me to tears. But I, I read this story about a young lady. Um, her name was Darlene Dibler. She was born in, uh, in Iowa right after, or during World War I. And uh, uh, when she was uh, nine years old, she trusted Christ as her Savior. When she was 10 years old, uh, this would have been 1927, she was sitting in a, in a uh, service that was intended for only college students and high school kids. But she was back there in the back as a 10-year-old girl, and the challenge was given to be a missionary. And she said she remembered as a 10-year-old girl hearing the Lord say, would you go anywhere for me? And she said, because she felt it was the Lord's voice, she said, I'll go anywhere for you. And so on that day, as a 10-year-old girl, it was pressed upon her heart that someday she would probably wind up on a mission field, foreign field. And in the latter part of the 30s, she's now an 18-year-old girl. She's graduated from high school. She's starting college. And she hears a, a man speak who's been a missionary in Indonesia for several years. He's home on furlough, and she's riveted by the stories and tales and the places that are needy of the gospel. And she feels like he's just riveted upon her. He was, in fact, he was 31. She was, he was 30 at the time. She was 18. Someone introduced him afterwards, and he asked to see her that night, and she, he asked this question. He said, would you be willing to go anywhere the Lord wanted you to go? And she thought, Same question I was asked eight years ago by the Lord, and I said yes, and she said, yes, I believe I would. And then he said, would you be willing to marry me and go to Indonesia? The first date. The first day they met. I thought, dude, talk about fast mover. He's thinking, man, I'm going to Indonesia, heading on a boat, and just wanted to know. And she was totally blown away by it. She didn't know what to say. Some of you ladies are out there thinking, yeah, that's probably not the best proposal you've ever heard. But she said, wow, I... I, guess I need to think about that for a moment. A year later, they're in language school together, and they were married. And she travels with him to Indonesia. And they arrive there in August 1938 on, their, on the exact one-year anniversary. Amazing story. 
they're there reaching to places that nobody's ever reached. In fact, she was the first white woman that many of those villages had ever seen. They went to one village region, region in New Guinea that had a population of 60,000 people. Everyone had to come up and touch her and pull her hair because they thought she was a spirit. They had never seen a white woman. Didn't know she was real. Questioned whether or not she was real. When they found out that she was, they all brought gifts, and their, their greatest gift they could give to visitors was sweet potatoes. And so they would give her a sweet potato. And it was, it was incumbent upon her to, to partake of it right then as a uh, saying she would receive the gift. They were there for two years and with little to no communication from the outside world and traveling in unbelievable, living in unbelievable conditions. War was breaking out across Europe and then in the Pacific as well. And in 1941, December 7th, they're in Indonesia. They don't, uh, they're in New Guinea. They don't even realize what's going on. But in February of 1942, Japan has just marched through the South Pacific and they arrive on their island. They're, immediately, they're taken captive, and they're put in separate quarters, and the men are separated and taken to a facility to work and labor on behalf of the uh, Japanese army, a place called Pari Pari. And she and the, the women and children, over a thousand of them, are huddled into a two-acre compound, 1,000 of them. And they are given very confined quarters and very, very difficult. They find out she's an American, one of just a few, and they believe her to be a spy. And Darlene is, tells them, I'm, I'm here because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's one man that believers, believes her. He happens to be a higher-ranking Japanese officer, but most don't. And for the next four and a half years, she's basically in solitary confinement, a six-by-six six cell. And she recognizes the languages, languages came very easy to her. She recognizes as she walks out of her quarters one day, and though they had very little opportunity at daylight, that um, above in Indonesia, in the language that she understood, it said, this person must die. And she knew she was on death row. Horrible, horrible conditions. Her weight had plummeted to 80 pounds. She was skin and bones. If a Japanese guard ever arrived on the, at, the, at the gate, to your compound, your, your, your cell there, you had to stand. And she said sometimes she would pray and say, God, give me the strength to stand. I don't even think I can stand. But she would stand, and if she could not stand, she was taken out and beaten. On one particular day, she was brought out, and they told her she was a spy, had her sign a false uh, confession statement that she was a spy from the United States and was transmitting radio signals about troop movements and all that. She had no idea what they were talking about. And she walked out there and she saw the executioner and she knew that she was going to die. And they brought her out there and put her down. They began to read the charges and they read her confession. And the man pulled the sword out from his side And he sentenced her to death, and here she was in the courtyard, and all those that were on death row were in their quarters, and they knew what was about to happen. And as soon as he had finished the decree, he pulled the sword out, and he began to take a swing, but instantly two vehicles pulled up. And one of those vehicles was a Japanese commander that had befriended her and believed she was there for his faith. And in a matter of seconds, her life was spared. But over those four and a half years, the conditions in which she lived were unthinkable. Unbelievable. She talks about worms in her soup, and she realized that she had to thank God for the worms because it was her only source of protein. She talks about going to sleep and waking up and finding a 30-pound rat gnawing. 
30-pound rat. She talks about finally as the Allied forces began to move closer to their island, they were bombed. And everything they had was destroyed and consumed. While she was there, her husband, who was in Pari Pari, died from dysentery. She didn't find out about it for months until months after he was dead. She was finally liberated, and she talked about her faith throughout that book. And she said, I prayed over and over that God would help me to be a good soldier for Jesus Christ. She was reminded of the verse that we said earlier today, Thou, therefore, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. When she was liberated, she was boarding a small boat that was taking her out to a a plane. And she told him, she said, I will not look back, for I will never return. And she heard in the distance three young boys who were calling her name out. And they were saying to her, safe travels, come again soon. There were three young boys that she had learned their language and led them to Christ. And she said she turned around and looked at them and tears began to well in her eyes and run down her face. And she said, I will return. 1946, she finally meets her family and gets readjusted. And a man in 1948 comes to her and says, I've read your story. I've heard about your husband's story. I, too, am called to be a missionary. No matter months they were married, she went back and spent the rest of her life on the mission field. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. She spent 35 years in Indonesia with her second husband. Then they went to Australia and founded a mission work there. Lived her life exhausted, spending and being spent for Christ. And we get bent out of shape over the dumbest things. Let me ask you a question this morning. How strong is your faith? Demas told Paul, I'll see you. So much so that Paul put the words down and said, he left me. What would it take to get you and me out of church? Why do people get away from God? Never a good reason to get away from God. And when we stand before the Lord one day, we'll be glad for every opportunity we had to stay faithful to him who saved us. Shall we stand? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. With nobody looking around, just a couple questions. Have you become indifferent? Have I become lazy, believing, yes, I know he's coming, but probably not for a long time. So someday down the road, I'll get serious. Have you become dependent upon a good word or encouragement or help from someone else? Do you and I have what it takes to stand for our faith? I hope we do. If you're here this morning, you don't know for sure that heaven's your home. The greatest decision you could ever make in this life is trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. Is there one here who would say, I'm not sure that I'm a Christian, but I don't want to miss heaven. Would you lift your hand? I'll pray for you. I won't embarrass you, and I mean that. I will not. Is there one at all? How many of you would say, God spoke to me about something very clearly today? Maybe it's my faith. Maybe it's my discouragement. Maybe it's my own failings and shortcomings. But God spoke to me very clearly today. Would you lift your hand? Nobody looking around. Nobody looking around. God bless you. Many, many hands. You may put them down. It's always incumbent upon us to not only just be hearers, but be 
and be receptive, but to be responsive to whatever God speaks to us. In a moment, the piano is going to play, and you'll have an opportunity to respond. Not everybody is able to get out and pray, come to an altar and pray, but I always want to encourage us to be responsive when God speaks. Lord, we thank you for speaking to our hearts. Lord, help us never get to the place where we don't hear you. And certainly help us to never get to the place where we don't listen. But God, would you work in our midst as you'd see fit today? Bless this time of invitation, we pray. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. While the piano plays, if God spoke in your heart today, would you come? You're welcome to pray there at your seat. You're certainly welcome to come to an altar. I don't want to get away from God. I know I could. I'm never so good that I can't. I'm just not that good. But I want to stay faithful. I want to finish faithful. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Many folks praying, praying at your seat. Thank you for responding to the Lord today. you may look this way. Well, thank you for listening to listening well. I, I don't know what the future holds, but I want us to be found faithful. I realize that as pastor at Timberline Baptist Church, I'll stand before the Lord one day accountable for this church. And so I want to lead well. I don't want to, I don't want to be unfaithful. I, I want God to find me faithful when I've drawn my last breath. And that should be the prayer of every child of God. A lot of things can happen that can lead us astray and discourages us, but let's make sure we continue in those things that God has called us to do. Somebody in this room today is going to meet someone this week who needs to hear about Jesus. Pick up a track so you can hand it to them. Let them know what a difference Christ has made in your life. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you again for coming. I hope you'll be with us tonight. Tonight, We'll be speaking at 5 o'clock. And then, of course, don't forget the children's choir will be singing. And then, as I mentioned, we'll have a cake fellowship afterwards this evening. Uh, but very, very glad that you're here. Thank you. And thank you for listening so attentively. Let's stay with it. Stay with it. Robert, why don't you come and pray, if you would, and dismiss us in prayer. If you're here as a guest, please make sure you've taken a moment to fill out that Connect card. Drop it off at the counter as you leave, and we've got a gift we'd like to put in your hands. And I do hope my wife and I get a chance to see you as you leave today. And thank you for taking time out of your Sunday to be part of Timberline Baptist Church. God bless you. Have a great rest of your afternoon. Robert, please. All right. Hey, Pastor, would you stay up here for just a second? Uh, Miss Tony, uh, she went out the back door. Uh, Miss Tony, uh, so as you know, you bought a house. Um, and so we all know you bought a house. And we all know that you uh, donated your lawnmower. 
to the uh, church. Um, so we took a little bit of a gift last week while you were gone, and, uh, and Miss Tony. Um, so we took up just a small little gift offering here for uh, some flowers for Miss Tony, and I figured it's appropriate on your birthday. Um, and then we have a card here, Pastor. Um, so there's about $500 in this card, um, and you could choose. We were thinking you'd probably buy a lawnmower, but uh, it's for whatever shovels you left behind or whatever uh, things that you donated to the church that you need to pick up. Uh, we hope that it's a help, and we're, uh, we're thankful. Me, uh, and it's just a church wants to just say, uh, uh, give you a nice little housewarming gift. Thank so. you very much. Let me, let me say, I know a couple nights this week, I know people like Robert and Michelle Andy, uh, I know two nights this week, Robert and his wife were there after midnight painting. Um, of course, that's why I paint everywhere. Um, no, I'm teasing. They did a great job, and I, I'm grateful. My wife and I are grateful to have people that, uh, that care about us and are concerned about that. And uh, thank you for being good to us, and thank you for remembering my wife. It means probably as much to me that you remember my wife and my family as it ever does that you remember me. Because uh, I, I mean it, if, if it were not for her, I, there would be no me. Um, and uh, just, so thank you. Thank you for thinking of us. That's very, very kind. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh. All right. Thank you, church, for doing that. That was a wonderful little gift. And uh, uh, I want to see a picture of him on the lawnmower. No, I don't think he needs a riding lawnmower. I think it's a push. <laughs> Start it, push back and forth, and you're done. Uh, that, I love those kind of yards. So uh, anyhow, well, let's, uh, after a great day in church, let's pray and be dismissed. Dear Heavenly Father, we are thankful, dear Lord, that uh, we're able to be in your house today. Dear Lord, we're thankful for a pastor that loves you, that's willing to, to preach. Dear Lord, tell us that we need to be here, dear Lord, as he looks out for us, dear Lord. Dear Lord, I pray that we'd all take this message, dear Lord, apply it to our heart, dear Lord. Uh, uh, know that we just have a small a moment in time, dear Lord, that we can do a work for you, dear Lord. And I pray that you would use us, dear Lord, as we uh, submit to you, dear Lord. I pray that we'd go out this afternoon, have a good afternoon, get some rest, dear Lord. Bring us back safely tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And you're dismissed. Amen.